You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions, or even the answers, are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And this week we're doing something a little differently. I am not joined by my trusted co-host, Ben Triplett, and he will be back next week. This week we're actually going to be diving into an interview with creative strategist, podcast extraordinaire, Jim Caskeet of 30secondsorless.net. But before we get to that interview, I would love to talk about a little something-something that is going on down here in North Carolina. And uh, this is really for a lot of those folks who apparently don't have the news, if you don't know what's going on down here. Um, Recently, as in a few weeks ago, uh, the North Carolina legislator passed the HB2, or also known as the bathroom bill. It was called the Public Facilities, Privacies, and Securities Act. And really what this does is it simply bans local governments from passing anti-discrimination ordinances and requires transgender people to use the bathroom uh, that connects with their birth certificate, not with the lifestyle that they're living right now. And this thing, some have called this on the right side, have called this common sense safety practice. I call this shameful. Um, And especially as like just the news has exploded surrounding this companies have said, we're not going to do business in North Carolina anymore. And Governor Pat McCrory continues just to be a smug SOB about the whole thing. This whole thing really is something that is absolutely ill-conceived. Now, usually when you see the conservative folks being bigots, but they usually hide it a lot better. This time, no, this is kind of, it's ill-conceived, it's out in the open, and it's just plain sloppy from their standards of bigotry, if we can see that. And that was also me being snarky. And so really what this is coming down to is the argument surrounding this tends to go back to this idea that, oh, the poor little kids in the bathrooms, uh, we are doing this to give them safety, to give them safe space, to drop a load, and we're really doing this to help the kiddies. Because apparently, I guess, in the logic that they're doing here, if you're transgendered, you also are somehow a pedophile. Again, that's their logic. That's not mine. And I would understand this logic. Like, if you were able to give me some sort of statistics about uh, transgendered folks molesting kids in bathrooms, but the problem is there isn't any. There's a big difference between someone that's transgendered and someone that's a pedophile. And the problem is with these conservative lenses that folks are looking at it at it with, they see the same thing somehow. And I don't really understand how they're blending these two very, very different groups of people with this. And all I can say is this is this is just a very, very thin thinly, thinly veiled piece of bigotry that is going on here. And they can deny it all they want, but really the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in what is going on um, in the state. And I even, you know, this is something that I've kind of just let let the media run through. We really haven't commented on this on the show, but I, I was just, I was driving past the church recently and it really, 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 and I can probably say really, really, really a few more times ticked me off. And I took a picture of it. And so it said, welcome to blank church. I'm not going to say which church it is. Um, You know, those church signs they have out in front, which are great if it was back in the 1950s, Uh, those kind of letterboard things. And so it says, welcome to blank church. HB2 protects the innocent and the vulnerable from danger, harm, and and evil. Because somehow, again, we've conceived this, or not we, people have conceived this somehow being all about protecting kids in the bathroom. Because you know what? At the end of the day, it makes them feel better instead of looking at them, their own selves in the mirror and saying, yeah, let's just be honest, I am a hate-filled bigot. And this makes me feel more comfortable. 
Now, from my own perspective in this, I, I, I will, I will uh, let's get honest with my perspective on bathrooms. Now, I think public restrooms, and actually probably most restrooms for that matter, are largely disgusting. I think they are they're germ filled. They are nasty and disgusting. And uh, from my own uh, standpoint, when I go to the bathroom in the public restroom, my whole goal is to go in, do my business, perhaps drop the kids off of the pool uh, in that and then get out. Like, I'm not looking to hang out or have relationships with folks in the bathroom. I mean, I don't care if they're my gender or a different gender. I simply just think somehow once I I step into the bathroom, everything's gross to me. And I'm not saying I'm a germaphobe, but I really find public restrooms fairly disgusting. And I don't care if you're the same gender as me. I don't want to hang out with you in the bathroom. I simply don't want to hang out with anybody in the bathroom. So maybe I'm just a... I don't know, whatever the bigot form of uh, just not liking bathrooms or people in general that happen to be in bathrooms, regardless of their gender. No, but for me, it's just you just go in, you go to the bathroom and you come out. And what's even more kind of insidious about this whole thing, because, hey, I have kids. I have kids at home and I got into this what I would call a straw man argument with a member of my family recently about this who is absolutely 100 percent in support of this ban. And, you know, their answer to all of this is so if you're against this, you're totally fine with letting your kids get molested in a bathroom. I hate arguments like this. They make no sense because immediately I'm the bad parent because apparently uh, if I'm against this bill, I'm pro my kids getting molested in the bathroom. Of course, that's what this is all about. No, not at all. That is, it is the dumbest argument that I've ever heard towards this. Now, simply put, the family member uh, that I am, I was speaking with, I mean, is an extremely conservative person that in many ways, does not handle any kind of divergent thinking, like thinking beyond one thing that is spoken there. As soon as they heard it was somehow protecting kids in the bathroom, that's what it was all about. Um, It had nothing to do with statistics. It had nothing to do with bigotry. It had nothing to do with implications or anything else like that. I was simply the idiot for thinking that this whole rule was bad. And, and, and this, this whole thing, I, I just, I feel like it comes down to really what's happening in our country nowadays. I think that we have become, and especially not even saying conservative politically folks, I'm going to talk about to a lot of the Christian folks in there. You know, what begins to happen is this, this, this whole thing is not about bathroom safety. Let's just be honest. Let's just be absolutely honest. This is not about bathroom safety. This is about hate and fear. Now, supporting this ends up coming down to being something about hate and fear, which sadly is something that I believe a lot of Christian America has become a part of. Like when we look in the Bible, when we listen to Jesus talk about things, we are called to love our neighbors. We are called to love our enemies. We are called to do a whole lot of loving. Uh, we've talked about this before on the show. I mean, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord, uh, your God with all your mind and your soul and your heart and all your strength in that. And, uh, the second commandment to that, I mean, is that we are called to also love our neighbor as ourself. And I don't think I can say this any clearer than in the Bible, neighbor ends up being anybody that is not you. And so when we as Christians like to get behind stuff like this, saying that we're protecting kids and we're really using this as a more of a thinly veiled way for us to be bigots, but be okay with it. We are ignoring the greatest commandment that Jesus has dropped down, boom, on us, loving God and loving everybody else. There is nothing about protection in this bill. There's nothing about love in this bill. This thing is all about discrimination, and let's not call it anything differently. And furthermore, I love the state of North Carolina. I do not love our government in North Carolina, but I will say this. North Carolina, have we here in the South not learned anything about segregating bathrooms? 
Have we not learned from our collective history where we like to say, you can go to the bathroom here. You can't go to the bathroom here. This water fountain is for you. This restaurant section is for you. You can sit here on the bus, but not here. We have a horrible history of this. And as soon as this bill came out, you saw these other areas cascading around um, here in the South. But these other things, because we're trying to hold on to our biblical stances and our biblical principles is what they would tell you. And as far as I know, I don't really see any mentions in the Bible about uh, which bathroom for which person to be able to use. Uh, So this whole thing, A, it's a repeating history. B, it's a thinly veiled piece of bigotry that is happening here. And C, it makes me absolutely sick. When I hear companies pulling out and saying that they're not going to do stuff here, I've seen artists say they're not going to tour here. I've seen like, uh, I believe it's NBA is even talking about moving their all-star game out of Charlotte from here. And you begin to say this, hey, if this is what you're going to do, Raleigh government, uh, you're going to have to pay the consequences of this because this makes no sense. And on top of this, I just... I mean, good gosh, when we begin to look at these things, like why can't we just find ways to be able to make bridges instead of burning them? I mean, especially, and I speak to you out there, conservative Christians within this, like how in the world, and I'm going to speak to your kind of general motivation, right? I'm going to speak to your general mindset of how you view the church and then how you view the world. You view the world through an eye that simply says, hey, we are called to do the Great Commission, which is what Christ called you to do, which is to go out into the world and make disciples um, and spread, spread the Jesus love here. You would understand that. But what that doesn't mean, what that doesn't mean is that you go out spreading your your way of life. You don't go around forcing your way of life onto other people. And because so- certain people don't fit into whatever your narrow box of good Christian is, that doesn't give you the right to go out and, and bash other people for not fitting into that box at all. I feel like this whole thing is shameful. I feel like this whole thing is reprehensible. And to some degree, when I first heard about it, I thought this whole thing was ridiculous and stupid. But as you begin to see what's been happening too, with people getting kicked out of bathrooms, I mean, I've seen videos online where they had, uh, it was they had police come in to remove a lesbian woman from a bathroom because she looked like she was a man simply because she had short hair. And see, we begin to see things like this, this fear mongering, this whole like, I don't know, it ends up kind of feeling like throwbacks to the McCarthy era where where we begin to just we begin to become afraid of anything. And so for those of you out there that would say that they follow Jesus, we are not called to be living in spirits of fear. We are not called to burn bridges. We are not called to treat others with contempt and disrespect. I had even heard when they even asked Ted Cruz, which again, I know it's Ted Cruz. Come on. You know it's going to come out of his mouth. But they'd asked him about this kind of a situation. And his answer kind of summed up was, if you're transgendered, you should just go to the bathroom at home. Yes, that is actually what he said, that they're supposed to just go to the bathroom at home. And that should be suffice, uh, which is a totally pandering BS answer to the whole thing, and it is absolutely disrespectful. And so what I would say, and again, I'm going to go back speaking to you conservative Christians out there. I would say this. Guess what? If you disagree with, if you disagree with the lifestyle of the LGBT uh, community, I'm not here to change your opinion on that, even though I don't agree with you. But what I would tell you to do is, and I believe (laughs) with all of me that this is consistent with Scripture, that we are called to respect others. We are not called to judge others. We are not called to exclude others. We are not called to be unloving and unkind and hateful and fear-mongering and bitter towards others. None of that would be something that Jesus would stand behind. We are called to love. We are called to be selfless. We are called to reach out. We are called to help. We are called to be there for the person that is the outcast, that is the marginalized one. Because guess what? Who did Jesus tend to hang out with? The marginalized people that were not like in the center structure of culture at that time. Where would Jesus be standing right now? I think Jesus would be hanging out with the folks that aren't being allowed to use the bathroom here in North Carolina. And with me 
right now, uh, what I'm going to do is step off my soapbox and begin to move us towards this interview that I did uh, earlier this week with Jim Caskeet. Uh, Jim is a, well, you're going to enjoy this because Jim is an absolutely creative guy who has his, uh, I guess his little fingers everywhere and lots of projects. And what initially kind of I found out about him through was this project, like 30 seconds or less, where what he simply does is takes these big ideas and concepts and he packages them up into 30-second bites. It's a daily podcast. It's turned into videos that's turned into a bunch of other stuff um, within this. And so without further ado, here is the interview. So I'm talking here today with Jim Caskeet, who is a creative strategist, a thinker, and the mind behind this really cool project that I stumbled onto recently called 30 Seconds or Less. You can find it on 30secondsorless.net. Jim, thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Good to be uh, on the microphone. Well, Jim, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you, uh, you're in Manhattan. Um, I know that you're like an associate minister with Middle, was it a collegiate coll- uh, church? Yeah, Middle Collegiate Church. They're, yeah. they're a network of really old churches. Before there was a New York, there was a New Amsterdam, and some Dutch Protestants came over and started the Collegiate Church in New Amsterdam. So we've been around since, you know, 1628 or so. Oh, wow. Yes. And so you, hopefully you're not that old. <laughs> Personally, no. I'm a very. I look really good for my age. <laughs> <laughs> well, what 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 originally like I stumbled onto was this project that you have going, thirty seconds or less. And give us a snippet or give us your little elevator speech on what this project is, and then we can talk a little more about it. Yeah, well, it, it's in many ways it is literally the world's shortest podcast, although it also exists in video form now to amplify the content. Uh, but it's essentially a, a platform to share ideas and amplify voices. Uh, and I'm a firm believer that everyone has something to say and everyone needs a space to be heard. Uh, and then the challenge then is, can you say it in a way that's worth saying and hearing? Mm-hmm. And I think if you can't say it in 30 seconds or less, you're probably not ready to say it in any length of time. So it's the the art of elimination and the challenge of brevity to see what can come from that kind of a of a medium and limitations oh i love it yeah i had i had found out about it when you guys are going through your lenten study where you were kind of having folks summarize every book of the bible yes oh yes i remember that i will never forget it largely because of the you know labor of love that it was to produce (laughs) an enormous amount of content in seven weeks yeah and how do you do that i mean is it it, when you're kind of sitting down you have this idea take us through like the process you come up with this idea that i want to do this with lent i want to have a bunch of different voices speaking into this and so how, how do you roll that out yeah i mean well that's that's this 30 second bible series this past lent is in some ways the most recent culmination of what this now a three-year project has been. I mean, I'm just about to turn the three-year mark, uh, over a thousand episodes, over 300 contributors Mm. every single day, Monday through Friday. So I no longer control 30 seconds or less. I think 30 seconds or less controls me. I don't know how (laughs) to pump the brakes. I think they're broken. Um, Because the thing originally began with me just thinking, I've got more ideas than I know what to do with. Uh, I'd like to do a podcast. Uh, I bet I could do like 30 seconds each day. And so I just started doing it myself. And then I started asking different friends to record something once a week. And then I had other friends who were like, hey, I've got a book that I'm releasing. Can I do a week all around the theme of my book? And I we, there's this, like, uh, you know, the world happens. Can we do something about um, Black Lives Matter, about what's happening in Ferguson? So I began just curating different series and campaigns with different contributors. And it quickly moved beyond being simply Jim Caskeet talks daily for 30 seconds to a, a network of voices, truly sharing ideas and amplifying voices, not just one person, but hundreds of people. Uh, and then... Um, I got towards Lent and I, I try to, you know, do things that fit the seasons of our world. And mm. I'm a pastor. So the theological rhythms are a part of my, you know, just DNA. And I know a lot of progressive pastor friends. And I started thinking last November, like, what am I going to do for Lent? It's like, hmm, what if I did the entire Bible? 30 mm-hmm. seconds at a time. I was like, okay, 66 books. I can handle that. And then I was like, but I can find the voices to do it too. And then I started thinking like, no, but I want to do two recordings for each book. So you can do a summary and then you can also kind of do a reflection on the good news in the book because I didn't want it just to be purely academic. Here's the historicity of the book of second opinions. I wanted it to have some space for kind of um, meaningfulness in people's lives in our world today to speak to, or to give kind of, you know, super short form sermon kind of a feel. So I had the idea um, and I just emailed a couple dozen people uh, and invited them to kind of get first dibs. 
And then, uh, well, so I used to work at Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids when mm-hmm. Rob Bell was there. And so part of my thought was I was like, because Rob and I still keep in touch. And I was like, I wonder if he would do Leviticus because his initial sermon series at Mars Hill was on Leviticus. And I was like, let's see. So and he replied back right away and pumped out some phenomenal content. Uh, and then, you know, just emailed people that I've connected to in various ways of the past decade of life and ministry. And then tweeted it out and made a Google document with every book of the Bible and asked people to add their name. And I started organizing for this like early January because I was traveling out of the country in late January and thinking, I'm not going to have time to organize voices for this. And Mm -hmm. within a week, I think every book was filled and I had to start turning people away. Um, but so I made some exceptions, you know, when when like Diana Butler Bask asked if she could do Revelation, mm-hmm. I immediately said yes. Uh, <laughs> and when James Martin, you know, Jesuit priest is like, can I do Luke? And I'm like, yes, yes, you may record for my little hobby. So it was literally just, hello, world, I'm doing a thing. And I think what's unique is the way it resonated specifically within progressive and liberal faith communities is there's this this often an undercurrent that the conservative evangelical side of Christendom, they're the ones that are Bible believers. Mm -hmm. And us liberals, we just, you know, want to love people, uh, but we can't quote the Bible. And I'm like, no, there is, progressives can reclaim the Bible. We can recognize that we have a voice in this book that we love. Yes, we might uh, come to different conclusions, but we are also taking this book just as seriously, Mm. maybe even more so sometimes. I I like to think I don't read the Bible literally, I read the Bible seriously. Um, So in one way, I wanted to kind of create a platform that could make a statement to the world saying progressives do know the Bible, they do value the Bible, here it is from a progressive point of view. And then also recognizing this Bible series specifically, we all live busy lives. We don't got time for things, you know, and the Bible's a thick book. And if I'm going to read something, I'd rather, you know, read whatever, you know, Alice in Wonderland I have sitting next to me right now. Uh, But how do we make accessible this thing that too often feels like it's inaccessible, this thing that feels like it's antiquated, archaic, or just takes more time than I have or is irrelevant? So I wanted Mm -hmm. to provide a space for progressive voices to reclaim the Bible uh, or to remind us that they've always claimed the Bible and then also to do it in a way that is actually accessible to a diversity of people given the time frame. So the hope isn't that this is uh, an exhaustive summary of each book, but it's like an, a sampler platter. This is walking through the supermarket and being like, ooh, that tastes good. <laughs> and, you, you, and you know, if you're strategic, you can fill up on the samples. Uh, and this gives you a chance to kind of enjoy a buffet of uh, the ancient scriptures that continue to speak fresh words in our world today. So, and then I'd get recordings and I would sit down in my living room at my computer and I would edit audio and add soundtracks and I would hunt through all these royalty-free video services I'm a part of and shoot my own video and talk to friends who shoot video and put together each episode to find ways that images can amplify the words and uh, put it on the internet. And the, the internet's a great sandbox. I find you can just play and invite other people to come play with you. So yeah, you're totally yeah. right about that. That I mean, the funny thing was, I think when I first heard about it, that you were doing this and like pretty much going through the Bible, uh, book by book, thirty seconds or less. I laugh and I was like, ah, <laughs> like what is this? Like how can this happen? But but I was to be honest, like I was really surprised at how deeply moving like yeah. a lot of them were. Like a lot of them just kind of like it felt like it put a hook in my soul yes. when I was sitting and listening to it, and I was like, okay, this is actually really special what he's doing here yeah and i was blown away too like i didn't know what to expect uh i was like how many of these am i gonna have to do and i quickly realized oh i better claim some if i want to do (laughs) them because these are going quick and uh i mean it's it covers the range of you know progressive some voices more progressive than others um there's a muslim who did a reflection a couple atheist humanists um not everyone agrees with the Bible. Like my best friend did one on, I think, first or second Peter. And he kept joking that he was going to record it saying the good news of second Peter is that it's not the only book in the Bible. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, let's be critical about the books. And it gives space for an honest conversation about this book that's usually just thumped on people's heads as some divinely inspired authoritarian text. It's like the Bible didn't, it wasn't emailed from heaven, people. This thing came from the ground that we're walking on. So let's reclaim the life and the blood and the humanity that's embedded in these pages. And along the way, discover something truly divine about it. So mm, I like that. And so like what, when you'd go through projects like this, I mean, what, what parts of these things feed you? Cause I mean, you keep doing this, you're a creator, you keep going. So like, what about this thing feeds your soul? Man, it, 
I, I describe all of this as just an itch that I have to scratch. You know, it's it's there are ways in which it comes out in my you know work at the church I'm ministering. To me, it's the sense that my creativity has to be. My creativity is not just out for the highest bidder. Like you can't. I'm I'm more than a creative commodity. It's I want it. It has to be in my DNA. So I just need to find outlets to do things. And thirty seconds or less has literally been just a personal exploration in communication methods. Like it. Its first six months, it was just spoken audio and like a, a the title in some sort of a typeface. And then I started adding a soundscape underneath each one. I have a friend who's a composer here in New York, and he's like, Jim, what if you did this? And then I started thinking like, oh, so I got interested in photography. So I started doing photographs to match each one. And then I got interested in video and like, what, what would it take to edit video actually? So starting last October, 2015, I started doing a video to go with each one. And it's just been my own curiosity, my own interest in what could, what are new ways to try something out? Uh, there, there's a, I can never pronounce his name, Cesare Malacholi. I don't know. He's a sociologist uh, from the 60s. He wrote about creative theory and kind of did the pioneer work on flow states. Uh, And the idea is that to be in that flow state of creativity or of happiness in any part of life, it's navigating between burnout and bore out where <laughs> it's not so boring that it's no longer challenging and it's not so challenging that it feels too daunting. So for me, this project has always been one where the minute I feel like I've got something figured out, it's like, what's the next way I think I can do to add a new nuance and personal creative challenge to it? So pure spoken word, soundscapes, photography, video. Like my next thing, I'm like, can I start learning animation? Can I start Mm -hmm. adding new things? Can I start filming my own? Can I do all original footage that I'm filming or my friends are filming? So it's literally just a hobby I started and I am still blown away when it, it, when I realize it's a thing that now exists in the world and has phenomenal people and some close friends contributing to it. Um, and I, I don't know what's next for it. Well, I do kind of know what's in the short term. I'm going to do a, another series for pride. Um, I do a last year. I did a series in June for pride month where it was all LGBTQ voices reflecting on uh, what it means to be queer in, uh, in America or queer in a person of faith and various things. And this year I'm going to curate a series just with transgender voices, mm. given everything that's happening in America right now. Um, but it'll be largely the same format, words, soundtrack, video. Um, and, and who knows when, when that'll evolve. I, I, I've, I've toyed with 3d video, but that seems like a nightmare to try to edit. <laughs> but well, yeah. Yeah. You talk, you know, so you talked about, and I, I love just the imagery of this, that you kind of are creating like almost a sandbox for people to come and play in. Yes. And, and so when you, when you think about it, like how, how do you even approach cultivating creativity, like in an online space oh. um, where, you know, where people aren't there physically with you, but you, you do this great job of being able to bring a bunch of different voices to the table. Yeah, I, I am just always I'm always just asking people to do it, essentially. And and hopefully in a way that feels native to the relationship. Like just today, someone was tweeting a series of tweets that I was like, oh, this this is great. I bet she could read this in just about 30 seconds. So I sent her a direct message. I'm like, hey, would you mind recording this truth tweet thread you did? And, and for episode of 30 seconds or less, and this person's never been on the show before. And she's like, absolutely. Where should I send it to? So I'm, I'm just, it has become for me a radar that is always on when I Mm. see someone creating something and I say, could you recapture this? And, And I think what I'm trying to do is, is, deliver on something valuable. Like I'm not going to just take their words and make it look like shit. I want it to become a thing that enhances and gives their, their voice meaning and value with their message. But so often I'm finding so many of the contributors are people that most people probably haven't heard of. It's, it's once in a while, like there's like the Brian McLaren's and the Rob Bell's and the Dana Butler Basses. And there's people who have a different kind of hearing already who have been a part of the show. But a lot of them are people who they're seminary students. They are, they go to a church. They're like a 65 year old pastor who doesn't know is learning how to use Facebook for the first time. Or they're just like, and I, and they're congregants from my own church, just random people from Twitter or anywhere. And the sense of giving them space for their voice to not only be heard, but amplified and a part of something bigger. Uh, I think people just really resonate with that. Um, it's, it's, this project has shifted from me 
creating content to me curating content. And we live in a, a world saturated with noise. I think the in some ways a harder challenge isn't just can you create the best thing, but it's can you curate the best things that already exist. It, mm. it takes a lot of, you know, uh, potentially big headed ego gravitas to think that I can make the best thing. Okay. Privileged white straight cis man. (laughs) Can I just recognize the amazing things that have already been existing in the world? Can I stop talking enough to realize that so Mm. many amazing voices have already been speaking only I need to shut up and listen to them and create spaces for their voices to be as heard as much as possible. So that that's the call to hoping to make. I'm literally saying, look, a sandbox come play. (laughs) And, and, And I have, I have had episodes that I'm like, I don't really agree with this one. Um, My hope is never to become too much of a bottleneck for, you know, control over the content. I mean, I would probably have some lines in my mind. But really, the only reason I've turned people away, at least up to this point, is because their audio quality sucked. I'm like, I can't handle crappy audio. It's got to be clear. I got to be able to hear you. But other than that, I just want to create spaces to share ideas and amplify voices. And this project has been the best way for me to do it so far. Well, and if you're, you're mentioning about this, so if people are actually interested in having their voice to be part of this whole, I guess, mosaic of, of voices mm. going on, how, how, can they, how can they go about contacting you? Yeah, well, there's info on the site, 30secondsless.net. Uh, if you go, I mean, that, right there on the top of the page, there's one that says like, record your own, um, or join the community. Uh, you can go to it directly by 30 secondsolessnet slash join. And then it has info where you can record directly through the website. Uh, you can literally on your phone or your computer, you can sign up to be on a list where then you like every month or so I, e- I have a contributors list that I email them with like, here's the next big theme. Got anything to say? Uh, and, or just, you know, follow me on Twitter and say, Hey, I want to say something. And I'm going to be like, okay, because it is wonderful to have a queue of great content that I can lean into for those weeks when I'm like, shit, I don't have anything recorded. Ah, like, yeah. So yes, 30 seconds, 30 seconds or less.net slash join. will take you directly to the info page to record your own or to sign up for the list. Well, and, and so you are, I mean, in kind of our talk beforehand, before this interview, and even looking through your stuff, you're got, you are spread out in many different directions with many different projects. And what centers you? How do you stay centered? Oh, um, well, I try to, I try to remember to breathe. Well, I, I usually do breathe. I try to remember that I'm breathing. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I always say that, you know, I'd make a, I, I feel like I'd make a really good Buddhist if I had grown up in that culture because I just am drawn to mindfulness practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the one sermon I've preached literally for 10 years straight has been to remind people to stop and breathe. And God is as close as your very breath, largely because it's a sermon I've needed to preach to myself for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mind and my life are running, you know, a thousand miles a minute. I'm tying my shoes while I'm sprinting. Uh, So I need to at times be, be where I am. Um, I have a a labyrinth tattooed on my right wrist as a reminder to smile, to breathe and to go slowly as Thich Nhat Hanh says. And the smiling I do pretty naturally. The breathing happens automatically, but the go slowly is what I need to remind myself to center in. So, but so much of it really is I need an outlet because Mm -hmm. my head is just filled with ideas. And so these creative projects, the ones that are on the site from various video things and stuff, uh, are, are a a container for those things to exist in. And, Mm uh, and I love the challenge of knowing that I'm making it in a way that it exists publicly. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't ever make it. I I'm just a horrible strategist. So I don't know how to make it with like an intentional public strategy in mind. I started blogging thinking, I just want to think out loud and my mom will at least read this. So (laughs) someone, I I know the possibility of it being read by the world exists. So that gives me a self accountability and determination to make it the best it can possibly be. And to do it as consistently as I've said, I would do. Uh, it's like, I need the, 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 I need the systems. I need to create the systems and structures so that my creativity can have an outlet to just keep functioning automatically. So those systems and structures ground me. They give me a set. They're a, they're a liturgy. They're a container that allows me to, to create intentional rhythms because we're all stuck in rhythms. Usually they're just unconscious rhythms and I want to be as intentional about them as I can. Uh, and so like things like the 30 seconds less project, it kind of got some momentum to it with various series and things. And I realized like, Oh, I could make some horrible mistakes with this. So I have, I have a board of advisors, four of my friends, um, we're in a private Facebook group and I can like share 
things I'm thinking for upcoming series and they can give feedback and ideas and they have helped me avoid a lot of missteps. Um, so there's a sense of, yes, I am the creator and curator of this project, but I can't do it alone. Um, or I'm probably just going to run into a lot of walls because I'm just going to be so excited about the most recent idea, not really having the space to ask, is this the best or the most helpful idea? So grounded by breathing, grounded by community of people who are honest with me, who call me all my shit, uh, and grounded by having systems and structures to get these ideas out of my head and into the world. Well, and it's funny because you, on one hand, um, you have lots of projects going on. You're extremely creative, but I was also noticing on, on your website too, that you are a minimalist or you're an aspiring, <laughs> maybe, maybe an aspiring minimalist is, yes. is the idea. That is an, a, a, a very intentional word. I'm an aspiring minimalist. I look around me right now at my desk and I see, you know, uh, two Canon DSLRs, uh, a, a shotgun mic, three books, you know, three iPhone cords, two laptops, a ukulele. And I'm like, I'm the worst minimalist in the world. <laughs> but I, I aspire to be one for the sake of simplicity. Uh, I try to travel as light as I can. I try to live as simply as I can. Um, yeah, just because uh, I, I, there's enough clutter in the world and in my head. And I want to just, I think people can access simple things and it gives me a sense of purity of thought uh, that depollutes or declutters what I'm trying to work for and create. I mean, I, 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 I'm a vegetarian for a lot of reasons. One of them is literally to eliminate choices from my life. So I go to a restaurant and instead of having 20 options, I have two. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means, so that's a form of minimalism, uh, but it allows me to then maximize those extra 30 seconds when you're sitting across from me trying to figure out what meat you're going to eat. And I'm like, Psh, I had two options. I picked already. I, I have a 30 second head start on my next idea now. Uh, so it, 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 it kind of all comes from that hyper efficiency productivity. I need to have ways for things to come out of themselves and minimalism, I think gives me the clarity to fuel that as well. Well, and part of that too, cause you have, I saw on there that it, like 2016 is your year of giving things up, <laughs> which I'm failing at horribly. <laughs> oh, Oh, life got in the way. I do a project every year. I, I don't do, um, I don't do New Year's resolutions cause I feel like they just last until Lent and then you do something for Lent and that lasts until Easter. And then you're like, yeah, okay. Uh, so I, I've always tried to take on something and like use it as a chance to beta test my life. Uh, like 2009, I started doing this, deciding I'm going to carry a notebook everywhere so I can write down ideas as I have them. And, you know, sitting in front of me is notebook number 45 that I've been carrying with me every day since 2009. Like I was like, I'm going to wear a shirt and tie every day to give myself a sense of like the, the version of myself I see as productive and creating content in the world is a version of me wearing a shirt and a skinny tie. So I've been doing that every day for since 2009. So I try different things. Some of them stick. Some of them don't. Uh, the year of giving up, I, I am running again. So that's kind of picked up. I did give up elevators for Lent. So it gives me a way to just play with my life and see it as a game to be experimented with. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm really curious about that, you know, life hacking of what I don't want to get stuck in a rut unconsciously. I want mm -hmm. to be intentional about every moment uh, in order to maximize the output and the things I can create and offer to the world. So what, what's left on your giving up list? For this oh, week? well, I think I, I, I think I may have given up on the giving up list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, I am running again. So it was it's not every day because I was running in January and I injured myself. And I guess you should not go from not running to then running every day. And after three weeks, when you run 10 miles at once, and then the next week, you find yourself like, in horrible pain in your ankle, mm -hmm. it means you're probably making some bad life choices. Like at one, one year I was gonna, I was gonna only sleep six hours a day. I was going to carve it out to make sure I slept six hours a day. And my, my mindset was that way over the course of my life, I can be awake for 75% of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of my mentors was like, Jim, that's great and all, but you might live less years that way. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm willing to adapt, but like one of some of them coming up, I'm calling one of the the months uh, or the two months H2 only, where I'm only going to drink water all the time, give up every other beverage. Uh, one of them, I'm going to like only read poetry and get rid of all prose. Um, so th things like that. It's really just a way to to try things out. I mean, 30 seconds or less emerged from that. Before I was doing this project, I did a, like a two months in a row where I, I called it my five days of anything project where I decided there's a lot of things I wanted to do long-term and implement as habits in my life, but they would just only, they would happen for a moment and they'd go away. And it's like, I can go to the gym every day. Nope. I can do it for a couple of days, but I decided I can't do things all the time, but I think I can do anything for five days in a row. Mm -hmm. So I'd pick a different thing 
and I would do it for five days in a row. Like I was like, I want to do a hundred crunches a day for five days in a row. I'm going to drink 300 ounces of water every day for five days in a row. I'm going to work out every day for like whatever. I'm going to, you know, fit, read a book a day for five days in a row. Then one of them was, I'm going to record a 30 second podcast every day for five days in a row. And I just haven't stopped doing that one. Um, so I just like to tinker with ideas and it's my spaghetti method. I'm cooking spaghetti, throw it at the wall and see which ones stick and the rest of it, clean up off the floor and put it back in the pot. <laughs> Which makes me not want to eat dinner at your house. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no one will ever eat the pasta I make ever. I know. Again. Why is this pasta hairy? Um, <laughs> well, so part of it, when we have different folks in the show, um, I w- really just wanting to poke into your brain a little bit um, to just talk about different things that are inspiring you and things of that right now. So like my first question in this is what is great right now in your world? Oh, what is great right now in my world? Um, I have some really amazing friends who just like in inspire me to try new things. Like my best friend, Andy is, has been the influence to get me into running again. So like literally on Tuesday, I was in a church meeting. Don't tell the New York classes. Uh, and I'm registering for like three road races this summer with him. So I think that kind of, uh, partnership, to do things that don't exist as internet projects, even though I will always try to turn them into internet projects, uh, to do things that just help me as a human being. So I have people who care for me in that way. Um, gosh, what else? We, I, I just, at my church I work at, Middle Collegiate Church, we host an annual conference, and we just finished it a couple weeks ago uh, in the end of April uh, called Revolutionary Love. And it was about tools, tactics, and truth-telling to dismantle racism. Uh, and we had a phenomenal lineup of voices, hundreds of people, like 300 some people there, like Jim Wallace, Melissa Harris Perry, Bishop Yvette Flunder, and so many more. So getting to direct that event and to be a part of that physical and digital conversation about dismantling race, those things just get me excited. Um, and and uh, I, I have an obsession with YouTube videos. So like my latest is Casey Neistat, who recently won YouTuber of the year, by the way. Uh, so I, I'm now on a goal to meet him in New York because he's here in New York. So People who are just doing creative and inspiring things, I just think are awesome. And I, I want to be their friend and maybe someday be one of them. So mm, I like that. So, okay. So we've gone from what is, what is great. So what is the worst right now? Oh, we, we should also say that what's great is Beyonce's new album because <laughs> yes, yes. Um, what is the worst right now? Um, uh, what is the worst right now? Hmm. Like how existential or personal should I be on this one? You can be as far <laughs> as you can go as far or wide or as uh, deep or shallow. As <laughs> well, I mean, like, uh, well, the worst is that I, I have to go to sleep every night and I have a, I'm a zero sum economy of energy. And I, I have like six podcasts that are in pre-production. Two of them have episodes recorded uh, and I just haven't had time to produce them. And uh, so it's the worst that I'm not able to do everything I want to do, or it's the worst that I haven't yet found myself creating a network and a community that can make all of these ideas happen. But maybe that's not so bad because it shouldn't just be all about my ideas anyway. Um, the worst. Oh, man. Oh, here's the thing, too. I'm a pathological optimist uh, <laughs> on the Enneagram. I'm a seven. So like I am I have, I have decades of biological evolution to be disposed to positivity in the world. So I I can tell you what's great forever, but telling you what's hard is it's, that's the part of my humanity. I need to learn what's worst is that I don't know how to access that part of my human human (laughs) experience. Cause there are so many of things that are shitty in the world. And I just keep smiling. My CPE supervisor, when I was a CPE chaplain, she said, she's like, Jim, the world is not rainbows and Snoopies. And I'm like, Oh, you're right. People do have lives that are falling apart and mine might be too sometimes if I would just acknowledge it. So yeah, the the worst, man, this is me literally thinking out loud, rambling to hopefully say something that's accurate to this question, but nope, not going to happen. Well, hopefully, hopefully we won't put optimism on your uh, things that you're giving up this (laughs) year. Oh, I don't know how to give that up. That's, that's hardwired into my life. Yeah. Um, so with, within all this, like what, what is currently inspiring you? Currently inspiring? Well, Casey Neistat, as I mentioned, is a YouTuber who blows me away. Um, uh, I, I, I just bought, like I mentioned it earlier, Alice's adventures in wonderland. Cause I, I just bought it this morning. So I'm like, I need to read like classic creative novels. So I things like that. Um, I, I do geeky things and that inspires me. I play board games, like geeky 
European strategy games with my friends and we play, you know, video games online together. And I'm inspired by that. Those moments of like just doing these things with people uh, who are real live people in the world and uh, the conversations that come from it. Um, music, Beyonce's album is definitely inspiring me. Um, I have an intern who's a student at Union Seminary who finished his thesis on uh, the evolution of hip hop and the understanding of black masculinity. Uh, and that blew me away. I never knew so much about Marcus Garvey. So diverse voices like that inspire me. Finding ways to connect with the voices that would not have been pumped into the speakers of my context of origin. Um, I mean, I, I, I learned to swim in this Christian church leadership world in the waters of Rob Bell and Mars Hill and realizing that like the Proctor conference at Haley farm and Otis Moss and James Forbes and Yvette Flunder and realizing that these people have been saying some of the most profound things that I didn't even know were being spoken and then having access to hear them and to know them and to partner with them. It's like, okay, that it, that's, insp- it's inspiring to realize just how wide this stream of the movement of God is and how much it's already been moving, whether I've known it or not. Mm-hmm. And then to say, Ooh, can I catch a ride on that part? Cause we're going somewhere. Well, and when you see, I want to tap in uh, for one of like the last questions we have here and into this uh, eternal optimist portion of you. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you've got uh, on one, on one, so you've got, you've got an optimist and two, that you're a person of faith as well too. So when you begin to look at, because it's really difficult today when you look across like the landscape of faith, especially in America yeah, um, and how divisive things are. And uh, again, you're, you're on a show called snarky faith. And so again, <laughs> Uh, I do have, I have my optimism, but I also have my snark and sarcasm that, mm-hmm. that gets the best of me at times. So when you begin to look across like the faith landscape, t- talk to me about like, what is giving you hope right now? Oh, I get hope from seeing, um, interreligious partnerships to work for justice where we don't get caught up about our ideologies or our orthodoxies, but we are gathered on orthopraxis where, where it's um, like Linda Sarsour is uh, a Muslim community organizer and activist. She's been doing a lot of campaigning with Bernie Sanders recently, but I've, I've been a worked with her and groups in New York for various protests and rallies. And she's preached at our church, even a Muslim woman preaching at a Christian church. Uh, but finding people who are a part of a movement for justice that, that transcends a, a contextual faith identity particularity and saying the point of this isn't to get some disembodied soul into a spaceship called heaven. The point of this is to, to put water on the literal flames of hell that exist on this planet earth and make things better today and tomorrow. Uh, I believe that God has hands and they're attached to your wrists. So get off your ass and do something. Uh, be the people of God in the world because we are the ones that we've been waiting for. So I get so inspired when I see glimpses of that happening and even more so when I get to be a part of those movements for justice and love in the world. Mm, that is a good word. And so as we start just uh, to get to the end of this here interview, how can people get in touch with you? How can people track you down in the virtual space? How can people virtually stalk you if they want to? <laughs> oh, I, it is very easy. I am very Googleable. Uh, if you just Google Jim Cast Keat, you will find lots of things about me and that I have made. Uh, JimCastKeat.com. That's K-A-S-T-K-E-A-T gives you kind of a hub of all things I've done. Um, I'm on Twitter as ideas done daily, uh, which was an intentional shift for two reasons. One, I think all of our online um, spaces are nothing but personas. Uh, so why not just call it for what it is? So ideas done daily, it's not my name. It's, it's a, it's a value statement. It's, it's what I want to do in the world. I want to do ideas every day. Uh, so anyway, that's this other rant, but you can find me on Twitter. I tweet way too much. And then, you know, any social platform, I'm there. Snapchat's my new obsession. Um, but jimkeskeet.com is the hub for anything and everything, email, social media, where to find me in New York City. It's all there. Awesome. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to, I mean, I would like to be able to have you on at another time too, just to kind of check in with where things are going and new projects and all that, that kind of stuff. Because I do, one, I love... I love your energy. I love your creativity. I love your optimism. That is just fueling change um, in the world around us. So I just really appreciate your time. Thanks, Stuart. That'd be fantastic. And this has been great. Love the show and love what you're doing too. It's fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. No problem.
Well, that's about all the time we have today here on Snarky Faith Radio. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for putting up with us. And uh, one thing I I do want to add is we love your feedback. You can find us on www.snarkyfaith.com. You can go and email us. You can, hey, you can argue with us. You can suggest different topics you'd love to hear us talk about here. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Plenty of ways for you to be able to connect with us. And also, if you're a regular listener, can you do me a solid? I'm going to ask you for something. If you if you happen to listen to us on iTunes, one of the things that helps our show to get viewed or I guess get listened to by other people um, is the review section. We've got we have reviews there, but I would love to have more. So go onto iTunes, uh, find Snarky Faith, and leave us a review. And as we get to the end of this broadcast, just a reminder that you can always catch us uh, on podcasts, which means you can find all of our last shows. We've got over 100 of them waiting for you there. Uh, We love to be able to connect with you guys in any way possible. So if you guys have ideas, critiques, anything else, shoot them to us. We would love to hear from you. And that is all that we have this week. And again, I want to say thanks for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you guys again. Uh, See you next week, and we are out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Aqueduct Conference Center was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.